JB, thank you for that song. That is good. Let's go Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the text up on the screen uh, behind me in a little bit. If you don't own a Bible, we'll have some in the uh, little pouches or trays underneath the seats, whatever you want to call that, uh, and just little paperback Bibles. I hear they're very tiny print for some of our older saints. Um, they complain. It's just something I hear every once in a while. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, don't have access to a Bible outside of this place, uh, feel free to take that one home. Uh, we value God's word here. We believe that it has the ability to convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe that it's effectual and does what God intends for it to do. Uh, we believe it's the primary means by which God uh, reveals himself to the world. And so to open up a Bible and start reading it, I think actually accomplishes some things, not in a really weird way, magical way but God is a God who has all things in his hands and he has given us his word to give us himself and so uh, if you don't have a Bible outside of this place take that one home and start reading it I think good things will happen all right Um, Matthew chapter 13 we are on the tail end now of a series that we've been in for several months called on the same page Uh, the premise is incredibly simple Uh, we are defining major vocabulary words in the life of the church Uh, words that when they're thrown out they're supposed to carry some kind of weight and meaning and uh, if you uh, uh, don't have a lot of church background or maybe you just come from a different church background or maybe just culturally there's a difference uh, they they don't always mean the same thing and so uh, as an effort to be on the same page when me or someone else throws out these major vocabulary words I want everybody to kind of be thinking the same thing. So we've talked about words like gospel and scripture and uh, baptism and, and all these kinds of things, worldview and that kind of stuff. Uh, last week, JB helped us understand the idea of grace as a new beginning, all right? The idea that, uh, we, uh, that God uh, doesn't just call us to to, to be forgiven, but he also actually gives us new life, right? And we also spent some time talking about textual criticism, which is a fun, fancy word that just means the science behind authenticating ancient texts, all right? And so JB walked us through a little bit of why we can trust that the Bible that we hold in our hands is actually trustworthy, right? All right? And so uh, uh, that's a valuable thing, and, the, and we can spend some more time talking about that at another time, but um, we have a few more words that we want to roll out, and so this, word, this week, our word is mission, Some of you are going, have we already talked about that? Yeah, yeah, we did. We've already talked about mission. This is the second time we're going to look at mission. Um, Back when we first started the series, we spent three weeks talking about gospel and two weeks talking about scripture, right? Two weeks on mission. Now, it's been separated for a while, but if you remember, if you were here, when we talked about mission the first time, we talked about it within the context of obligation. We said it this way, that the church has one job to do, right? That there are lots of things that the church gets to do, several things that the church is called to do, but the church has one job to do, which is make disciples of all nations, right? We can say that another way, to make other followers of Jesus. That Jesus is Lord, and that the guy who fairly gets to be called Lord also gets to be the guy who fairly gets to make all the rules, right? And because Jesus is the guy that makes all the rules and the big rule that he gave us is to make other followers of him, guess what our obligation is? Obligation is a correct way to frame mission, right? We we have one job to do. But it's, it's far from the only way to frame mission. There are lots of things in this world that you do because of nothing but obligation, right? There are things that live exclusively in the category of Merely obligation. How many of y'all who filed for the, file, the tax income, or income tax extension, or not income tax, the tax extension, 
How many of y'all who filed for the extension now that you're a month in have really jumped on the, on the bandwagon and gotten that done, right? Or are you waiting till more like October? <laughs> there are things that exist firmly within the category of merely obligation. There are also things that are obligatory, things that you're obliged to do that you enjoy, though, right? But we've left the category of merely obligation. There's now something else in the driver's seat, right? There are lots of things that you do based on mere obligation, but there's some things that you're obligated to do that have a driving force behind it that doesn't feel like obligation anymore. How many of you provide well for your families and work diligently at your jobs, not because you gotta, because you want to, right? There are things that exist in our world that are more than just mere obligation. They may have obligation attached to it, and mission absolutely has obligation attached to it, but maybe our God is bigger than that. I think our God is big enough and smart enough, creative enough, that his commands to you and I go beyond just mere obligation? I think so too. When I say mission, I want you to be seeing, thinking, joy. Joy. So um, one of the things I always want to try to do here when we gather together and open up God's word is to have you walk out the door loving more and understanding more the just how big and just how lovely and just how beautiful our God is, right? Uh, the last several weeks, uh, we've talked about some specific words. We've talked about worldview, and we've talked about sin, and we've talked about stewardship, and we've talked about citizenship. And all of those four exist within this superstructure that we talked about of Jesus being more valuable than everything else. All right? You tracking with me on that? That Je Because Jesus is more valuable, all these other things fall into their appropriate categories. We see sin correctly. We see uh, worldview and see the rest of the world the, the, the right way. We see our place in society, citizens in society, the correct way. We see uh, the way we handle our resources in the appropriate way because we value Jesus as infinitely better than all those things. All right? So because we have the superstructure of Jesus is more valuable than everything else in place, all those other things make sense sense you think mission maybe falls under that superstructure too when I say mission I want you to be thinking joy Matthew chapter 13 in Matthew 13 uh, we have what contains Matthew collects for us uh, the kingdom of or the kingdom of heaven parables or the kingdom of God parables it's the same thing uh, depending on what your translation says all right and so uh, Matthew collects for us seven parables in a row of Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven all right uh, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the seed, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the net, and then the two that we're going to look at this morning, making seven. That's how math works. And so in verse 44, verse 44, Jesus is going to start talking about the kingdom of heaven again in two parables that you probably heard before. Let's look at them. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his, what's that word? Roll credits. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Okay, so Matthew collects for us seven parables all about the kingdom of heaven. So it's probably wise for us to define our terms here. 
what is the kingdom of heaven? Is it heaven? Or is it something other than heaven? In the Bible, the heaven and the kingdom of heaven are not the same thing. Now, there's overlap there, but they're not the same thing. Let's, let's you know, roll it back and define simpler terms, right? What's a kingdom? A kingdom is anywhere a king reigns, right? That's a pretty good working definition. I'm proud of that, right? A kingdom is anywhere a king reigns. And we can go another layer on top of that, right? A good kingdom is anywhere where that, that reign, that king is loved and listened to, right? Like, we all know of kingdoms with really bad kings, right? But a good kingdom is one where that king is beloved, and he's listened to, and he's obeyed. Not out of obligation, but out of something else, right? That's a good kingdom. And so does that exist in heaven? You bet it does. Absolutely it does. But is that the only place it exists? Nope. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven also exists in you, right? It exists anywhere that God is moving and working in his reign and lordship is loved and obeyed right so the kingdom of heaven is yes heaven but way bigger than heaven and so jesus says gives seven parables seven little illustrative stories all in a row about the kingdom of heaven and so uh let's let's recast our stories just a little bit okay in first in the first story there's a man who is i mean just let's imagine this out kind of walking through a field and i guess he stumbles over something right he starts kicking around a little bit, notices that something ain't just a root, it's like something buried there, and so he gets a little bit more dedicated, starts digging around, keeps digging, he starts to, to grow in excitement, and he realizes that this something isn't just any old something, no, 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 this is a box full of treasure. There's a problem, right? It's not his field, which means he has no right to take anything out of that field. That would make him a thief. Maybe you're okay with that. At least he wasn't. All right? So he decides, I, this isn't mine, but ah, he comes up with a plan, right? He runs off into town. He is going to buy that field. The problem is, he broke. All right? And so he doesn't have the cash to buy that field. And so he starts selling everything off, right? Now, Jesus sells, says that he sells everything. I know this is a dumb question, but for the sake of our story this morning, I got to press. How much is everything? Everything, right? So not only does he sell off all the unnecessary stuff, you know, his baseball card collection or whatever he's into. No, he starts selling off all the necessary stuff. The house and the cart and the mule. I mean, it's pure conjecture, but I mean, does, is he even still wearing the clothes on his back? Jesus says he sells everything he is making a dedicated effort to get that field because that treasure will be his right and so nothing's safe everything's up for grabs he finally garners enough cash puts it all together he runs off he buys the field and he goes back to the field he digs up the treasure and now Woo, he's got a field worth everything he used to own plus a giant treasure chest. It's a good day. Right? It'd be a good day for me. I think, and Jesus says, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is 
like that. Like, follower of, of Jesus, Christian, if you're in this room, I, you can probably point to things in your life where Jesus has called you to make some kind of sacrifice and you trusted him and you came out the other end better off, right? I got more stories than, of that than I can count. It would take a while to start rattling them off, right? And we'd have a good time doing it because our God is faithful. If, those of you who are followers of Jesus, we all have stories just like that. Some of them are, are incredibly, incredible stories. All right? and, and the man saw something valuable. He made a sacrifice. And he came out the other end rewarded. We've heard that story a million times. But then Jesus tells another story. He says, the second man was in search of fine pearls. So this man isn't just randomly walking across somebody else's field and stumbles across something. He's, he's out in the marketplace looking for it, right? And as he's looking, he passes however many pearl shops, pearl stands, and he gets to this one that's on this special display, and he gets tunnel vision, and the chorus of angels starts singing, oh! And he goes, I want it. Oh, I want it. So he pulls out his money and he starts counting everything and he's way short. And so he's, he's not going to be set back by such a, a minor thing. No, no, no. He's going he's gonna to go fix the problem. And so he runs off as well. And Jesus says that he sells everything too, right? So he sells the house. He sells the donkey. He sells the cart. He sells the shoes off of his feet, the clothes off of his back. And he goes and he buys the pearl. The angel's crescendo. Crescendo means swell. There's a music major in the back that got that joke. He was the only one. <laughs> Everything he wanted is finally his. So now what? Like in the other story, there's a guy who sold everything he had to get a really expensive piece of property in a treasure chest. He's going to be okay. This guy is a now poor guy, probably naked guy, standing there holding a pearl. Right? <laughs> Different ending of the story. <laughs> like, what's his wife think about this? <laughs> See? It's a funny story. Jesus told funny stories. All right. The guy goes home, right? The guy goes home. He holds up his wife. Hey, I know we're homeless and we don't have anything to eat, but look, Pearl! How's that going for him? What's his neighbors think? Listen, class, if you're paying attention, everybody around this guy think he's, thinks he's a fool, right? Everybody around him thinks he's a fool. And he is a fool. Unless, unless that pearl is worth more than everybody else around him thinks. Unless that pearl brings him a level of joy that all the things he gave up to attain it could never compare to. Right? That's the only way this guy gets out of this story without looking like a complete moron. Is that the pearl actually is more valuable. Jesus says, no, 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 listen, the kingdom of heaven 
It's like a man in search of fine pearls. Have you ever wondered if God's got this whole thing rigged? I do sometimes. And then I realize he does. <laughs> I mean, is that possible, right? That God has set up his world to work in such a way that the deepest possible joy that you and I can experience in this life is actually joining up with him? You think God's smart enough and creative enough and powerful enough and big enough to set up his kingdom and set up the world that you and I call home in such a way that it all works out in our favor? I hope you have that big a view of God. I think God's got this rigged. That by joining up with him and his work in this world, we actually experience a level of joy that nothing can compare to. When I say mission, I want you to be thinking joy. That to dive headlong into our obligated one job of making disciples of all nations actually results in the fullest, sweetest possible life that you and I could ever live. And that by settling for anything else is actually a sad little substitute for joy. C.S. Lewis in a book called The Weight of Glory said it this way, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis is throwing haymakers here. Many of y'all know that I've been privileged to um, uh, be a part of what God's doing in other parts of the world. Uh, I've just been blessed in that kind of way. I know a lot of people don't get those opportunities that I get, uh, but I've been a part of uh, God working in other places around, around the creation that he's given us. Uh, and so um, on one trip that, I, that I've been allowed to be a part of, uh, I traveled to the Philippines. Uh, it was about four years ago now, I think, maybe three. I don't know. I can't count. All right. Um, I traveled to the Philippines, and I got to do a lot of really cool stuff, right? I got to preach at a pastor's conference. I got to uh, give a couple of messages on national radio broadcasts there. Uh, it's, but the coolest thing I got to do in the Philippines was go to some tiny little villages on some tiny little islands and sit in some tiny little thatch-roofed homes and talk Jesus with people. At the risk of putting myself out there, I want to read something to you um, this morning. I wrote down one of my experiences. And I, and I say at, at a risk because I, I want to be very, very careful not to have people walk out the door on Sunday morning thinking I'm a hero. Because I get this wrong more often than I get it right. All right? But let me tell you one of my success stories. This is a story about just an experience I had in the Philippines. It goes like this. I thought I was excited. I had preached the gospel in a church plant that morning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is my go-to gospel text. I can't help but get all worked up when I preach that one. After lunch, we climbed into a van and headed for the beach. 
I had my flip-flops on and I was going to speak to a young family in church about discipleship. Oh, but this was no ordinary discipleship sermon. This served the dual purpose of being a charge to a candidate for baptism. Obviously, the occasion called for the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. I can't help but get all worked up about that one either. It was going to be a great afternoon. The sun was shining and everything seemed perfect. I thought that I was excited. We pulled the van into the little village that sits about a mile from the water. This was my third trip. On previous visits, we had discussions about a man in search of a fine pearl who was pleased to purchase it. We had spoken of God's design of the gospel moving forward by sending so that people may preach, so that people may hear, so that people may believe. And now, now it was time to celebrate. We had come to baptize Dylan, a 16-year-old girl who had made a decision a week before we had arrived. What a wonderful afternoon for a baptism. I thought that I was excited. When I entered into the small bamboo and thatch house that we had met in before, there was an obvious buzz in the air. People were dressed far beyond what I had witnessed on previous visits. Preparations were being made. Dylan was in the other room getting dressed. Her mother wrapped jackfruit in banana leaves and put them in a basket. Her father, who had worn cut-off jean shorts and an open shirt during our previous meetings, now had on full-length corduroy pants and had buttoned his shirt all the way to the top. He was trying his best to put on a bright yellow watch that was normally kept hanging on the wall. A crowd was beginning to gather around the house. I thought that I was excited, but I had absolutely nothing on this family. It was time to head to the beach. So 19 people and a five-month-old baby girl piled into the van. The rest walked. Luckily, the trip was only four minutes. When we all had managed to peel ourselves out, we walked out to a little pavilion on a rock beach. We were technically on private property, but no one seemed too concerned with that. Their smiles were so big. We sang a hymn, something in Cebuano that I could not understand, but I didn't need to. It was gorgeous. Not in a technical way, but in a real way. There are lots of reasons that I love missions, and I think, that, think it to be important. And if you're reading this, then it's likely you've heard me teach on that concept before. But this is my favorite of all the reasons I don't normally talk about. I absolutely love to hear God be praised in a language that has no need of my input. It is simultaneously humbling and exalting. I thought I was excited, but my excitement had room to grow. The fountain of joy that God has laid at the feet of those who follow him in taking his gospel to the world is inexhaustible. And just when you think you have reached the bottom of the cup, you find that you've only begun to sip from the edge. When I say mission, oh, I want you thinking joy. Is there obligation? Yes, but that obligation is not in the driver's seat. It's joy. God has rigged this world, set this place up in our favor so that when you and I join up with him and work with him and do the things that he has called us to do, we get a depth of joy that is indescribable and incomparable to what the rest of the world will offer. So how do we respond this morning? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, our response is to take stock of how we view the things God has called us to do, right? Are they merely obligation? 
coming from a God who makes arbitrary commands? Or, or are they fountains for your own joy, given to you by a God who has created you for a depth of fulfillment beyond what you can even begin to imagine? Those of you who have tasted and seen for yourselves, because there's a long history here at Nashville Baptist Church, long before my time of, of us coming together and being a part of jumping into what God has called us to do. There's a long history here, and I'm glad to be here because of it. Those of you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in this area, the thing I would say to you this morning is, don't you want some more? Those of you who haven't, don't you want in? We've got all kinds of opportunities coming up. We're looking at planning some stuff in Montreal in the fall. We're looking at maybe putting together a team to go to Ohio in August. Uh, we've got uh, ice cream social stuff. There's a board in the little entryway into the hallway over there called Serve. All right? uh, Jody's been working diligently to keep that board updated with some really good opportunities. So if you're interested in ways that you can serve here or around here, that's a good place to start because it's got lots of information there, right? We're looking at putting teams together for all kinds of stuff here and there and in between. Listen, I'm kind of daydreaming about some stuff in West Africa around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Why don't you give me a call? I happen to know some people. And that's just the stuff that we're making dedicated efforts on, like, out there. Like, we got a thousand things going on in and around Nashua, right? Vacation Bible schools and soccer clinics and all the above. Call me. We can do some stuff. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. In a second, I'm going to pray and JB's going to come back up and sing and our response to the scriptures this morning, a couple of stories in Matthew 13, is to ask the question, do we see God's commands correctly? And if not, is it because I've failed to follow him? Jump in and watch what he does with it. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we're glad you're here. Is a safe place to work through the truth claims of Christ. It is. Come hang out with us on some of these things. You need to know, though, that it's not because of some humanitarian or philanthropic or altruistic thing. No, we're insatiable here. We want more of Jesus. That's the driving thing behind everything we do. So come hang out. But we got something driving us that's not driving you. We can fix that too. Maybe you're here this morning and for the very first time you want to submit to King Jesus. Repent of sin and come to him as Lord. If that's you, uh, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. It'll be your opportunity to, to do business with a holy God, an eternally big God who has all things in his control. Do business with him in your heart. If you need somebody to talk to, I'll be down front if you want to talk to me. We'll be out in the foyer after we're done. If you want to talk to us then. Let's pray. God, you are too big and too good to leave us with mere obligation. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the parables of the man with the treasure and the man with the pearl. 
I fail to trust you sometimes, even with the treasure side of things. Knowing that reward is coming, I still cling to things that I, that I value here as if they're going to get me something. But oh, I want to see you and your nearness and, your, and the joy that you give me like the man with the pearl. May I be found as somebody who is pleased to buy it. To sell all and jump in the deep end. God, for those in here who don't know you, would you give them the courage to, to take the step towards knowing you this morning? And to get you. I mean, actually get you. And thereby find a joy that is inexhaustible and eternal and always satisfactory. So as we sing, would you inhabit the praise of your people? Would you teach us to love you more and, and, and more deeply so that we, we may walk out the door this morning excited for the mission you send us on, fueled for the mission you send us on. And so in your name we pray. Amen.